0: Can't be serious, man.
1: You Hi, Chris. How's things?
0: Um, I've been traveling, as have you.
1: Yes, I have been traveling. Back out on the uh, road for uh, on the road. A, a basketball show that we're making. Uh, I went to Sacramento, which uh, it's my favorite kind of trip because it would... Probably never go to Sacramento, other than for a story.
0: I feel like Sacramento is on everyone's radar because of that woman, Greta, who got uh, nominated for an Academy Award and basically made a film ode (laughs) to Sacramento with Lady Bird, which is kind of the... I didn't really love the movie, to be honest, but the visuals of the city were like better than I thought.
1: You didn't like Lady Bird, huh? Did you? Leave Manhattan. No, I haven't seen it, but I feel like I know... (laughs) I've been told I like it, so there's really no reason.
0: No, no, no. You do. You're a hipster urban dwelling (laughs) intellectual. Yes. I'm all those things. You are. I too have been on the road. As a matter of fact, I went to Austin and I did an interview. Oh, who did you interview? I interviewed Sean Kent, who is more known on tennis Twitter as the tennis nerd. And he has a great show called the tennis nerd podcast, which he just launched uh, in the last year. And so I was in Austin on sort of business and we got a Game of Tennyson, he made me chicken fried steaks, I met his teen daughters. It was pretty awesome, and uh, I can't wait
1: to share the interview with you. Let's cue it up. So tell me about your day. Like, why, why are you, you texted me, I was like, do you want to record this or what? And you're like, yes, I just played tennis next to Venus Williams, so that's not something that, like the kind of text I get from you a lot?
0: Not often. No, we're not often on the same court. And then after that, I went to Trader Joe's, which is like a full contact sport, which Mm -hmm. also in New York doesn't happen very often. So it's been a big day. (laughs) Okay. It's been a big day. Um, yeah. So now I'm a consultant. I was working full time as sort of a talent scout, you know, podcast, uh, maven of sorts. And it was taking up a lot of my time because I was trying to do racket and you know, a bunch of other projects, but mainly racket. And so I decided to start consulting, which means my days are my own. And, uh, I it's it's like night and day. It's so wonderful. I'm just like two weeks into it.
1: Have you ever in your entire adult life, not had a job that you had to go to full time?
0: Never. I've been working full time in media since I was 22 and I'm now 37.
1: So wow. Get used to this new reality. I mean, I've been a professional comic for 20 years, haven't had a day job and, uh, yeah, it's, it's heaven. I mean, I don't know. I kind of am like waiting for the other shooter drop because it's like
0: I can just go play tennis with my friends because they have a court and they asked me to and I can do the work that I was supposed to do late this afternoon and no one's going to know. Well, can I tell what? you the
1: idea of going into an office is actually pretty much bullshit. Like, Yeah, people, I mean, people, now that I don't
0: have to go into one, I'm, I'm like, how did I do that for 15 years?
1: People sit in the office and hardly get anything done. And then if they're just allowed to do it in the comfort of their own home, they actually get shit done because they're like, I can just work. I can have my own scene around me, all that stuff. And mostly what you do in the office is you go to pointless meetings.
0: Yeah. The amount of vanity meetings, as we Mm -hmm. used to call them, like people would call a meeting, not because they had anything actually to do, but just like to see who could, they could get in the room. And then there's preamble, you know, I never went to a meeting that was an hour that needed to be more than 30 minutes. And I never went to a 30 minute meeting that needed to be more than 10 minutes. So basically my life is my own and it's a dream and I've already accomplished two major things today which is i've played tennis and i went to trader joe's which i know does not sound as equal as playing tennis next to venus williams but living in new york city you get into the line as soon as you walk into the door at trader joe's really anybody who's listening and i know we have a lot of international listeners so just
1: communism
0: the last time i was there this old lady accused me of being drunk because i bumped her with my cart, but in actuality Mm -hmm. she ran into me oh god it was very upsetting but it's worth it because they have incredibly fun weird like snack foods and healthy things that they source from all over the world. Oh, I love and Trader like, Joe's. Yeah, it's hard to explain to somebody who doesn't have a Trader Joe's, and now most American cities do, but it's not outside of this country. So it's like, yeah. ugh, it's amazing. But anyway, I bought accidentally men's one-a-day vitamins. What?
1: You can't so take those. I'm not sure if I'm supposed
0: to take those? Yeah, Should I? what's going to
1: happen? You're going to grow a dick. Well, that sounds terrible. Well, I mean. But it was only $2. I so. don't mind it. <laughs> I like I like the having one, but whatever.
0: There you go. Okay, so that's what happens. If
1: if you look on the back of Centrum One a Day for Men, it says, (laughs) "Warning: You will grow a dick." You will grow a dick. Yeah, that's slightly (laughs) under uh,
0: fifty milligrams of magnesium.
1: Yeah, too much magnesium.
0: Um, So, but more germane to our conversation, I did in fact play tennis next to Venus Williams, which was not expected. I was on the court with a couple of my friends playing some doubles. And one of my friends was like, I think I just saw Venus Williams in the locker room. And sure enough, like two seconds later, outruns this like very impressive looking hitting partner with like 40 rackets and tons and tons of like balls and, you know, sports bands. And then there she is, one Miss Venus Williams. Where was this in New York City? Yeah, it was in Randall's Island, which is the, the sport time club that John McEnroe and his brother sort of operate Oh, okay. Um, it was on clay, so presumably she was getting ready for the clay season. Um, wow. You know, kept to herself, just did, you know, kind of kept her head down, was on her phone a little bit, trying not to look over too much at her. But sure. like, it's did kind you, of.
1: Did you tell her to keep her balls on her court? You're like, hey, hey, Yeah, hey. I was like,
0: get the fuck off of my court. We're it's playing a happens. match. No, but I'll be honest, a couple of times I, like, kind of had the yips because I was like, this woman can serve 140 miles an hour, and I'm, like, lollipopping it in relatively It was a little nerve wracking because you don't expect anybody like usually if you're at my level and you to play in college, you're like probably the best people at the club. Mm -hmm.
1: But then definitely not the best people at the club today.
0: No, because usually these types of athletes do not train here. So somebody said that she's dating someone in New York, which is maybe why she's here because I don't think she or her sister live here. I think they are mostly in Florida.
1: Who is her? Is it still the uh, the, uh, African-American guy that's her hitting partner? Was that the guy?
0: No, Jarmier, I think, Jenkins. Yeah, Jarmier Jarmier, Jenkins, yeah. The reason I know that is because I came up in the Atlanta tennis scene for a minute and all the Jenkinses were, like, dominating junior tennis. There's, like, six of them. There's Jackie Jenkins, who's, I think, around my age, and then there's Jarmier, and then there's a whole bunch of other ones, and they're all amazingly good and very, uh, you know, accomplished. And I think Jarmier and maybe another one of them were Williams' hitting partner. Jarmier is Serena
1: Williams' hitting partner.
0: Jarmier Serena Williams, that's right. Yeah. And then another William, anyway, it's a it's a very long complicated uh, tangled web. But okay, so no, like did you guy. get
1: to meet her or whatever? I mean, I, did you just say, hey, Venus, you know, funny enough that you're here because I'm the editor-in-chief, founder-slash-publisher yes. of Racket Magazine. And, yes. And, you know, this is just kismet because you've always did wanted you, to be a writer. You have. You've written countless uh,
0: articles. Yeah. You've, you've got a couple books. You know, everybody knows about your literary ambitions, and here we are.
1: You're like, the Players' Tribune, fuck the Players' Tribune, I spit on the Players' Tribune.
0: This is Racket Magazine, this is actual
1: literature. No,
0: well, yes, I said all that if you count me giving her a bit of a head nod as she was walking behind my court as I was walking to retrieve a ball. So we had a very meaningful moment of eye contact.
1: Oh, okay, I can see that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But a lot
0: was said. It's more about
1: what's unspoken, really, Sean. Can I tell you my best Venus Williams story? If you've never seen Venus Williams play live, um, she doesn't necessarily on TV to me look incredibly graceful. It looks like a lot of moving parts um, and a lot of sharp angles. But when you see her live, it's all flowing and graceful. And the the way she jumps backwards and is hitting the ball or or stands her ground, it's incredibly nimble, this six-foot woman. Um, doing all this stuff, and that's the best word I can say for it. It's incredibly nimble, and so definitely see her live. And then also the little facial expressions and noises she makes when she plays live are just adorable. They're so adorable. <laughs> um,
0: um, I would call them terrifying because she was, to your point, moving kind of like a jungle cat in, like, low gear kind of. Uh-huh. So not fully – it was hard to even tell that she was trying.
1: Very Panther-like. And-
0: Until you looked at the dude on the other side of the court, not one of the Jenkins brothers, but another guy who, Mm -hmm. by all accounts, was, you know, very, very good, probably himself a former, you know, pro at some level, and he's sweating and he's struggling and he's grunting really loud. And Venus looks like she's on gear, like, three or four. Yep. And just at the very end, she started hitting, and then that sort of famous grunt that we hear a lot when we watch her on TV mm-hmm. um, came out, but only at the very end when she was actually exerting herself because the amount of pace and amount of court she was at, uh, able to sort of both generate and cover was amazing. So I tried not to, like, watch her play the whole time because I was theoretically supposed to be playing a doubles match, um, but it was pretty fun because, well, you know, obviously we see players practicing, we see them... Um, you know, at tournaments, and we see them playing at tournaments sometimes, and obviously we watch them on TV, but they're not often like doing the same things we are. I mean, it would be charitable to say what I was doing, what she was doing on the tennis court were very similar, but we're both there, you know, middle of the day, trying to trying to get a few hits in. Um, She's uh, too uh, hard to compete. I'm just trying to, you know, get ready for the five zero 0 season. But...
1: Can I tell you the end of the Venus Williams story, though? Like, oh, so I was more. watching sure, her sure. play Arena Camilla Begu. And at the very end it was a tough three set match at the Rogers Cup and up in Canada. And um she the last time Arena Camilla Vegu is like running for a ball and she hits it and it goes really high and it's up, up, up in the air, and it's gonna like land out outside of the sidelines, you know, in the tram lines and, and finally it hits down in the tram lines and Venus just looks at it and goes, Huh. <laughs> And then walks to the net and shakes hands. It was so cool. Like the whole why? stadium started laughing. She just she was like, huh, like, okay, huh. I did that. It was amazing. Boom, dude.
0: She's my age.
1: She's brilliant.
0: She's brilliant. It's amazing. You think she's got another slam in her?
1: No. Yes. Yes. Why not? I mean, I that's know. hard to say. I don't. I don't know one way or the other. I just you know. Um, I think, I, mean, I think if she's going to win a big tournament finals it's... last year, two finals. Yeah. I think if she's going to win a, a tournament, it's going to be a slam because a big tournament's going to be a slam because you get the day off in between and you're still only playing best two out of three. So yeah, I, I definitely think she could win a slam. Not this one coming up. You don't think she's going to win the French? No. I mean, clay has
0: historically not been her strong suit. She hates it. Yeah. Uh, you know, but Wimbledon, Hey, she good match against Garbina Magruta last year. Mm-hmm. And uh you yeah, know, no. obviously get told like the
1: second set when she got bageled
0: The second set was bad, but the first set yeah. she was in it. Yeah. All right. Um let's catch people up. You okay. and I have talked a couple of times on your fantastic podcast, the Tennis Nerd Podcast. Yes. Uh and I want to hear about how you got into it. You mentioned earlier you're a professional comedian. Um obviously you have a love of tennis. Where I want to start though is you have just picked up the game a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, I picked up the game in October 2015. Um, I was uh, teaching, like, just an hour a morning, a little uh, improv-slash-drama class at a little school by my house, just kind of for fun. And it was on the grounds of a tennis club, and I've always watched tennis, like, way back. I mean, we're talking, like, Connors, McEnroe, you know, uh, Borg. And Yeah, uh, you're a student of the game, I would say, and anybody who listens to your show will be
0: immediately impressed, far more than my knowledge of, like, the pros, the game, the history, like, you know, your shit.
1: Yes. You I love it. I love the history of tennis. I think it's great. And, um, no, I never really, I was a basketball player my whole life. And then, you know, I got to the point where my, uh, my knees didn't mind it when I jumped, but they really hated it when I landed, <laughs> you know, they were like, yeah, they were like, yeah, I go up and get that rebound. Oh, what did you do? why that's
0: like when they say like i don't like cocaine my nose just like way so it smells
1: yeah of. basically no, that's yeah. exactly right and also i was just tired of you know the kind of the overly macho attitude of it of getting elbowed and you know you get a lot of injuries from other players and you know i was getting into my early 40s and just like i'm just tired of like 18 year old guys you know um so uh So there's a tennis court, like there's a tennis club on the grounds of this little private school, and well, should I say the the school is on the grounds of this tennis club, it's called the Polo Tennis Club in Austin, Texas, and I just went over there one day, and I was like, how much is a membership, and they're like, blah, 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 discount, discount, and I was like, okay, I'm going to sign myself up and my wife up and see if we like it for a month, and that was it, dude, like, first hit that day, I mean addicted right once it's in the blood it's in the blood and
0: you just like the the ball hit the strings in that way that it's like satisfying when you're like oh that's what it's supposed to feel like and then it just like clicked
1: yeah and i rallied with somebody there they got had somebody hit with me and i didn't do that well and the way i work in sports is like oh oh you think i'm not good at this fuck that i'm going to do everything i can to get good at this now so that's kind of how i got into basketball i got cut from my seventh grade team and then kept going until i was an all-star so um you know, <laughs> so tell you,
0: you can't do something. Well, I have to tell you, um, one of the coolest things about the way the direction my life is taken now is that, you know, people, uh, who I know through tennis and magazine and podcast stuff are now like sort of circulating in my world. And it's so, so, so cool. So I was in Austin over the past weekend. Um, and a really lovely gentleman named Adam Bennett was like, Hey, I listen to the podcast. You're going to be here. I'm going to miss you because I was giving a talk at uh, the Blanton Museum with UT and he was like, but you should come in and see this Ellsworth Kelly exhibit because there's a link and he does a famous tennis court painting. It's in the Philadelphia museum. Just say my name at the front desk. So I went with my friend and it was awesome. So thank you, Adam. But more importantly, I got to hang out with you all evening on Friday. That was really fun. For a tennis slash chicken fried steak slash family palooza.
1: We hook you up, don't you? When you come to Texas, you come to Texas. I mean, any, any anybody comes to Texas, I take care of them. The only thing I didn't do was epic. take you to the Capitol. You know. I mean,
0: like, you know, uh, there's always next time. Uh, you it was got fun. me at the
1: airport. Yes, I. Picked I got you to up.
0: meet your kids, drop mm-hmm. them off at a school dance, which amazing. Mm-hmm. Got to like some insight into preteen dating. Holy mm-hmm. shit, that's a whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, your kids it. are super
0: cool. And then we played at this beautiful polo club that you're just talking about. And I have to tell you, for just picking up the sport, you're damn good.
1: Oh shucks, you're gonna make I mean, me. you're gonna make me send some more blush emojis.
0: Blush emojis. I mean, you're not you're not unaware of your talent because you've now started playing tournaments.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm. I'm and playing. you're crushing people. Uh, well, I wouldn't say crushing, but I'm a four O level player, and that's kind of where I wanted to get to. If I can get to four five, who knows? Because that's a level of athleticism I might not have anymore at um, forty four years old almost. But, yeah, I love it. You know what? It's really interesting because tennis and basketball, the footwork, is really similar. Mm -hmm. It's really similar like in how you relate to the ball and watching your opponent at the same time and waiting for their reactions and stuff. What's totally different, and we talked about this, is that in basketball, you're constantly improvising behavior. Constantly. Mm -hmm. And in tennis, you need to have a repeatable mechanism the whole time through. And that was crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and that's the best players don't look like they're trying very hard, like, you know, one Venus Williams, because they're hitting the same shot the same way almost every time. And the efficiency of movement is because of their footwork, because you're supposed to look the same time. On occasion, you'll catch them, you know, out of position and they can still do something amazing or graceful, which is even more impressive. But that's what's so cool about it, I think.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that's totally different, and this is one of the reasons that, and, you know, also, I got to say, if you watch tennis and you don't play tennis and try to at least play it at whatever competitive level that you're at, you can't completely understand the game. Yeah. Because the mental aspect of tennis is so different than anything I'm used to. Yeah. For, for instance, in basketball, when I get on the court, I go 100%, 100 miles an hour, super aggressive, very like in-your-face. You know, just I'm going to I'm going to dominate the other person type behavior. Right. And you don't stop to think there's no like fighting with yourself or whatever. You know, I mean, you miss a shot, you go grab the the rebound and elbow the guy in the face. Right. <laughs> yes. Tennis. I mean, I, I like to talk smack, you know, in tennis, man, it's just dude, it's it's the toughest thing I've ever done mentally period. It's so
0: hard. And I actually, um, I totally agree with that assessment. And I think like one of the things we talk about on the podcast a lot, which is why I wanted to talk to you about playing tennis is like, we, we try to celebrate a watching tennis in person just Mm -hmm. because it's so, so, so much better than watching it on TV. Um, and then b playing it even, especially at the rec levels because it teaches you so much. And I, and I now, because I've been doing more racket stuff in the past year, um, you know, I've been a journalist my whole career, but usually I'm in the press room of like, you know, the state capital or yeah. the, you know, the White House or on the campaign trail or whatever it is. And I haven't spent that much time in sports journalism because I was a political journalist, and what has struck me is, you know, I'm generalizing, but generally the lack of sympathy or empathy that a lot of the journalists have for the players. And I right. have to believe that it's because not very many of them, not a, much less. I've never
1: like competed. I, I don't think a lot of them have played ever. No. And I'll go and you it's
0: bananas to me.
1: I'll go you one further. I will say that the tennis writers that I like, I know for a fact and the ones that tend to be more empathetic in their writing. And therefore I think become better writers because empathy is necessary to good art, um, or good anything. And you know, I, except maybe being like an executioner, I guess empathy wouldn't help there. Right? a <laughs> yes, Great example. Yeah. Um, but th- I know for a fact that they play tennis, that they try to play it on some level at their own level and they can relate to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, you know, I think that's, I think that's kind of why some of the golf announcers are so good because they all play golf. They love golf. They play golf. Right. But golf yeah. is not like a sweaty endeavor. Tennis is a sweaty endeavor. You got to get out there. And I don't know if some of these guys do that.
0: No, I don't think so. And I remember I was in, uh, I was at the tour finals, the ATP tour finals in London and I ran into a a journalist who I actually really like, who was like, we were talking about a player and they were like, Oh, they're done. It's over. You know, the only way that they had any leg up was just fitness and now everyone else is caught up. And it was just like, maybe that was true. Um, but it was just like, so unempathetic. And actually this player that we were talking about has gone on to like do pretty well this year. So, (laughs) you know, in that case it wasn't, it wasn't accurate. I mean, but It was just like the stunning lack of empathy was kind of like, whoa. On the other hand, you know, you get somebody like Gimelstab who played tennis and this guy's like just like a fucking blowhard, um, you know, or some of the other commentators He's very
1: empathetic towards tennis players. That doesn't mean I like his, you know what I mean? That doesn't mean I like his commentary at all because I don't. Yeah,
0: I don't like his commentary. So I shouldn't say that. But he's he's
1: actually like to the point that um, he is so empathetic as to almost be – obsequious to the male yeah. American players. Do you know what I mean? Cause he, oh, wants, him in, sure. he wants him to play. He wants him to play in his double dipping charity events and stuff he's like that. Pro, he's
0: projecting onto them and he yeah. like over to them in a way. That's yeah. Like and super he's,
1: weird and bro-y. Yeah. It's weird. He's like, he's basically, you can tell John Isner's his best bud and they go to Republican fundraisers together.
0: Gross. They're both so gross. Yeah. If I yeah. never see another one of those dudes again, no thanks. They were just in your Vulcan neck of the disgusting. woods. is um, I, I actually, know they were, they
1: were down in Houston the weekend you were here. We should have gone down there. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: First of all, no, never. I know
1: I'm joking. Never.
0: Houston smells like poop. Does it not?
1: Oh, oh, definitely. Depending on the neighborhood you're in, there's so many chemical plants and refineries and stuff in the Houston area that, I mean, you go to the wrong neighborhood and it just smells like death. It smells like a skunk died and then someone opened up the skunk and poured in rancid (laughs) rancid milk and deer shit and then sewed the skunk back up and then put it in the sun and then pissed on it and then like, I don't know. Left it. Incidentally, out for a I think while. that's
0: their city motto.
1: Yeah, we smell like. Skunk. It's a little
0: verbose, but you know,
1: we smell. Like I think skunk. that's part of their advertising. On. It's
0: one of the worst smelling places. It, uh, you know, not without its charms. But it's not smelling.
1: It's not smelling bad from natural things. It's smelling bad from like cancer.
0: Right. Yeah, you are like this is what the world's going to smell like after we deplete all of our fossil fuels, and everyone's fighting for drugs of water.
1: Yeah, and also the country club where that tournament's at is absolutely the most exclusive country club in all of Texas, and it's effing gross. Like, I'm not They don't that. like
0: women or people of color, or like they'd be like you're a homosexual. No, there's like a
1: there's like a waiting list for you know other it's it's a, one of those people where they have like debutantes and social occasions, and you know it's it's as Gimmelstob said. This tournament's on everyone's social calendar. Like, Gross. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's awful. Gross. That the whole thing is gross. Um, you know, and it's all American players mostly. It's gross. that was the that was the bummer part. It was all American dudes. The the level of competition is not good. It's like a bunch of Americans and Fernando Verdasco every year.
0: Yeah, uh, Fernando Verdasco not did not have a great tournament. Curious um, no. did not have a good tournament either.
1: No, I don't know what's wrong with him. The first match, um. Just real quickly on him, the first match, he didn't really look like he was trying, but he still beat uh, Bjorn Frantangelo, which is not hard. Yeah. And then the second match, he also did not look like he was trying, and he lost to Ivo Karlovich. I mean, I guess at least Ivo
0: Karlovich serves like 185 miles an hour.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But
0: here's the thing, and you made this point on Twitter, which I thought was a really good one, which is actually kind of my beef with the American tennis establishment. Anyway, it's just like, why aren't all these dudes in Europe? Right now,
1: yeah, I don't know. I don't know why you would play a little 250 down in Houston, Texas. It doesn't have any prize money anyway, other than you know, lack of ambition on European clay. Why aren't they in Monte Carlo already?
0: Yeah, they should be training in Monte Carlo, which is kind of where it matters. And, and,
1: like, and they can all qualify for it.
0: Yeah, actually, all of them could. They're all ranked high enough at this point to to qualify. I mean, no. look, I guess I was happy that Steve Johnson won. That was a nice like embrace that they had at the net. He beat Tennis Sandgren, you know, our alt right tennis player,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, I guess, you know, that's like the less bad outcome. But the whole thing, it was kind of like, man, what a bummer. Like, this could have been... Uh, I was trying not to
1: throw I, up the entire time during the finals.
0: Kind of. I don't know. I remember when I was a kid, we used to have the AT&T Challenge, which has mm-hmm. now been renamed the Atlanta Open and moved to Hardcourt. Right. But at the time, it was a clay court tournament, you know, and like Becker would come and Agassi, and it was yeah. kind of the same thing. It was like a fancy country club, you know, and I think that's... Well, the Houston they can't Open all be in the stadiums in Monte Carlo, I guess.
1: Houston Open is the only men's clay court tournament in America left, and just like the Charlotte, uh, excuse me, Charleston Open, yeah, um, in the Volvo Open, as they call it now. Uh, although, since it's a women's tournament, I always, to me, like I'm always waiting for somebody to call it the Volvo Open. Just I think that's <laughs> funny.
0: Is that is that about the caliber of your comedy on? stage? Yeah, that's about it. To That's about as
1: that's about as good as you get. The Volvo <laughs> Open. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this has been a little comedy preview for everyone. Get your Sean Kent tickets while like, you can.
1: I'm not trying to get people to my comedy shows. I just want a career in tennis. All right, everybody. <laughs> a career in tennis. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, you kind of have one because now you're uh, you're a dude in in the tennis landscape. You had David Cain on your show. Yeah. You've had James Blake on your show. You've had yeah. You know. Can we talk about chicken... like
1: me? Can you talk about
0: the chicken fried steak I made you though? It was delicious. You made homemade biscuits. Chicken fried steak, incredible pepper gravy with the right amount of pepper. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a it was a spectacular day. We uh, I got the debrief from the school dance from your two t- preteens, and I got a full screen uh, Houston clay court you know tennis match in the background. It was a pretty solid Friday night.
1: Yeah, I have to say, but one you're... of the best
0: Friday nights I've had in a very long time.
1: But you were so sweet because like you didn't talk about yourself at all. You just listened to my daughters like ramble on, and it was awesome. I was a just good
0: super happy that they didn't think I was a nerd. Do oh, you know, no. there's no there's no more terrifying creature than like the preteen girl.
1: Oh, they're capable of anything. That's why I'm locked in my room right now. My my <laughs> youngest daughter is sick downstairs, but I'm locked in my room upstairs.
0: You're like, I'm not going to cross her. I don't oh, know no, what she's no, capable no, no. of. No, it's preteens are terrifying. Plus, oh, yours no. are cool and interesting.
1: No, my daughters <laughs> value nerdiness. They We have a saying in my house, normal is boring. I love that. And also snitches get stitches. So those are the two <laughs> ones.
0: And that's, you know, teach them young. That's what you got to
1: do. That's for real. Our like family mottos. So.
0: I believe it. We have a family motto. It's actually commemorated in a painting on my wall.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What is it? Uh, stay positive, but keep your head on a swivel.
1: Love it. That's you know, because you do
0: have to stay positive in this world, Sean, but you
1: also got to be ready for anything. Yeah, especially in New York City.
0: You got to be ready for anything. If I'm not teaching my kid to be ready for anything, I'm not doing him... A service of Parenthood. Am I right?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely think so. I think in Austin, Texas, our motto is uh, "Keep Austin Weird." You know that one? <laughs> I do. So, yeah. Kinky,
0: Kinky Freeman, right? Yeah. So you started playing. You've always been a comic. You have always, uh, you know, controlled your own time, which is certainly helpful if you're going to create a podcast. But like the actual genesis of the Tennis Nerd podcast, what what happened where you were like, "Fuck it, I want to." start recording this thing. I want to start booking guests. I want to start getting interesting well, tennis people. Like how did that sort of happen?
1: Well, um I had the the Resistance Radio podcast that I was doing for a long time and we were fairly successful with my partner CJ Wormen, but he uh just couldn't do it anymore. He wanted to focus on his masters in um, that he's getting in counterterrorism. So, completely different kind of podcast than the Tennis Nerd podcast. And we interviewed humanitarians and human rights activists, and James Blake was one who wound up following me on Twitter because he's very left-wing, um, as am I. Um, although I do try to keep politics out of my tennis nerd stuff as much as I can. Um, but uh, So I reached out to James, DM'd him, and then we were talking, and then I was like, you know, what am I really interested in? Like, what makes me happy? Because the Resistance Radio podcast was very important, but it did not make me happy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. cause I go into politics on stage and stuff like that. And and right. I just wanted something that was free of that in my life. And so, uh, I, I, you know, DM James and I said, look, I want to start this tennis podcast. Will you be the first guest? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Because he's literally the sweetest man of all time ever in the history of tennis. And <laughs> I mean, what other former world number four is just like, yeah, sure. I'll be the first guest on your yeah, the podcast Super with 10 listeners. <laughs> and then I reached out to you, and you were my second guest. And honestly, it's been all kind of awesome from there. Uh, people, I just had David Kane from the WTA Networks. I mean, the tennis community is really open to talking about tennis and really accessible. And you know, the thing is, in that I never thought that I would want this, but. I'm, I'm really tired of like traveling and being on the road and stuff as a comedian. <laughs> and, uh, the next step for me is to work on cruise ships and stuff, uh, cause it's good money and blah, blah, blah. And I may do that, but I really want to try to work in the tennis industry. So I've just been in whatever form that takes, I've just been putting all my energy into it and, and I love it. You know, I told David Kane, I said, you have my dream job, dude. Cause he basically watches the WTA for a living.
0: I was listening to that episode, like eight screens at a time yeah timing his you know watching for like if it's in australia he'll like set him his alarm to be up all night and like yeah it's a dream scenario that sounds wonderful to me it sounds pretty awesome to me too i have like picture although it would be great if i were doing it on like my yacht
1: yeah well definitely well that's coming yeah i mean that's
0: just the next step independent publishing has long been known as a uh fast track just to yacht ownership
1: so <laughs> I'm well well one thing i have to say that was really inspiring to me was to see racket magazine because it racket magazine started publishing just a few months after i started playing really it, and maybe a little bit longer than that cuz it's you're only on the sixth issue now but to see somebody like you and your partner who have taken their passion and tried to make something cool and artistic and creative and, and and bring a level of literature to the writing about tennis and great art and illustrations and paintings and everything. It was just really inspiring to independent content producers like me to see somebody yeah. do that and take it to the next level and be as successful as you've been. And then to get to know you too, like you're, you know, you're a very inspiring person to talk to because your energy is good and you just believe in what you're doing. And so, you know, it's, it's, It's been really a cool thing to do this alongside the growth of Racket. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, and I feel very much the same way. You know, when I saw your tennis podcast pop up, I thought to myself, like, yes, this is exactly what this sport needs. This sport needs more magazines, more podcasts, more competitive broadcasting opportunities, Mm -hmm. more books, more, you know. I mean, if you think of any other sport, you know, how many basketball podcasts are there? How many, you know, magazines about soccer or football are there? You know, it's just sort of like it doesn't hurt the sport to have more, even if some people are doing something similar. And I would argue you're not doing something similar, nor are we to anything that's out there. And like, eventually maybe there will be something that is similar to one of our two endeavors. And maybe that'll be a good thing because it'll mean there's the health of the sport and the size of the sport can sustain, you know, you know, a multitude of voices. And to me, that's like actually the point. It's to get more people excited about this thing because it is so awesome and so at the end of the day, that's kind of what I take as, you know, the ethos of like the more the merrier. Let's all like nerd out and get really pumped about this sport, whether we're playing it or talking about it on podcasts or writing articles about it or, you know, streaming it on like a different screen simultaneously, like David Kane. Cause it's like, that's what the point of it, this all is to me.
1: So yeah. And to. and to grow the sport we love. And I think what's great about what, what we're doing is. That it's outside of the corporate parameters of tennis, which is a very corporate sport and very conservative and yeah. how it covers itself. We're doing it from the fan perspective um, and we can say whatever we want. We can be mad <laughs> at tennis for the way that yeah. tennis presents itself, the way that tennis is unimaginative in its vision to grow bigger as a sport. Um, and I think that those kind of independent voices are going to be really important, and I think eventually they're going to seep through to the mainstream, and it's going, to, it's going to only be a positive thing because of it. And you know, I'm just so happy to see racket be so successful. And when you told me you were going to do it full time, I was like, yes. Life is good. So.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I'm two weeks in, so let's see if I end up, uh, you know, a total train <laughs> or, you know, maybe I'll come down to Austin and have chicken fried steaks every Friday. I was going to say,
1: <laughs> you can definitely, definitely stay in our spare room, so.
0: Well, the world's our oyster. All right, Sean, yeah. thanks so much for making time for me. Uh, until next time.
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Caitlin. And Great to, to see you. Everybody, please go check
0: out the Tennis Nerd podcast. It is so good. Awesome. All right, so that was Sean. Anybody who wants to hear more of his hilarious banter uh, should check out the Tennis Nerd podcast. Um, And I'll be back next week with another chat with my dear friend, Chris Neary.
1: All right, I'm the dear friend. Okay, bye.